0: Heavenly Father, we do thank you and we praise you, Lord, and we thank you for your word. We thank you that it applies to our lives today. Though it was written, this text was written maybe 3,500 years ago, Father. We're thankful, Lord, that it still applies to us today. And Lord, that we can take from it it, it, it can encourage and direct and guide our lives. And Father, I just pray, Lord, that we would apply what we learn tonight to our lives tomorrow. Father, fill us with your spirit. Give us ears to hear. I pray that man would decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Real quickly to catch you up, the last couple of weeks in chapter 3 and chapter 4, we looked at the calling of Moses. We saw the call of God on the life of Moses. We talked about the fact that once you give your life to Jesus Christ, He has a calling upon your life. A lot of people use that word for people in full-time ministry or, you know, someone who's called to a position that you can give a name to, like worship leader or something like that. But the reality is that when you give your life to Jesus Christ, He has called you. He's called you into salvation, and He's called each one of us into ministry. Everyone here has been gifted by God supernaturally, and you know what? He's given you, in some cases, many gifts, and God desires that we would use them for His glory. You know, often we know what our personal abilities are, but God has given us a spiritual calling as well. We saw when Moses was called by God that his immediate reaction was he was blown away at the burning bush. Remember that? And when he got to the burning bush, he... he, you know, what is it that I'm seeing here? And he comes up and and God speaks to Moses. And he tells him that he's to be the one to go back and free the people from the bondage of Egypt. But what's interesting to me is his initial reaction was, well, who am I that I could do such an awesome thing? You know, I've been out in the desert for 40 years, and I've been wandering in the wilderness in a sense. I've been out here, you know, in the backside of the wilderness, and God is calling me. And sometimes we think that God's done with us, and we think that we've been sent out to the wilderness. But I want you to know that as long as you're breathing in and out, God's not through with you. Amen? And he still has a calling upon your life. And Moses, after 40 years, is called by God to go back into Egypt and free the people. He asked the Lord what his name was. remember that the Lord told him his name is I Am. You know, a lot of us are, are I-wases in certain aspects of our life. So I feel about my athletic abilities, right? I'm an I-was, you know? But you know what? He's the I am. He always has been. He always will be. He's the great I am. And praise the Lord for that. And that's who we serve. You know what? Buddha, I was. Right? Muhammad, I was. Jesus, I am. God the Father, I am. Alpha, Omega, the beginning and the end. That's who our God is. Then last week we saw that He went back, He began to, to go back... He initially responded again, even though God called him, he responded with doubt. And the Lord performed three miracles right before him to show him that he had the power to free the, the Israelites from bondage. Remember, they've been in bondage for 400 years. This is not a, a small task. There may have been as many as 2 million Israelites. And he sent Moses back with a stick in his hand and says, I want you to go back or you're going to get the people out of there. 2 million captives, you know, the Egyptian army, the most powerful army anywhere in the world. Here's a stick. Go get them, Right? Now, I can see where there might be some doubt. So God is encourages Moses by showing him some signs. The first thing he did is he said, take your staff, drop it on the ground. And when he did, it turned into a serpent. And he said, grab the serpent by its tail, which first of all, you never do that with a serpent, unless God tells you, then you do it, right? And so he reaches down, he grabs the serpent by the tail, and it turns back into a staff. He then said, take your hand and put it in your bosom. And when you remove your hand, it was, when he moved his hand, it was covered with leprosy. Leprosy in those days was a death sentence. Probably still is today. And when he had leprosy, it was, just, it was a picture of sin. And then he put his hand back in his bosom, he took it back out, and the leprosy was gone. He then told him to, to take water, and when he would take water, he poured it on the ground, it would turn into blood. And he said, these are signs I'm going to perform that, point, that will point the people to see that the power has come from me. You're going to go back and you're going to do these things before Israel, and you're going to do these things before Pharaoh. And you know what, initially he's not going to respond to you, but before it's over, he's going to let the people go. And so as he's heading back, last thing before we look at the text this week, he was heading back and we know it says that right in the middle of the chapter, it's like, where did this come from? It says that the Lord sought to kill Moses. He sends him on this mission. He shows him signs and wonders. It's been foreordained for the foundation of the world that he would be the deliverer. We know that even when he was put into the basket and God watched over him when he was a baby, that God had foreordained that 80 years later he would be the deliverer. But he's on his way back and it says that God sought to kill Moses. And remember why? Because he had not circumcised his son. You know what? No man or woman who's walking in disobedience to God can be truly used by God the way that God wants to use us. You know what? We're not saved by being good. But you know what? When we've been saved and born again, we should walk in obedience. Amen? The Bible says, Be holy, for I am holy. For this is the will of God. So he returns to Egypt, and upon his arrival after circumcising his son, and no doubt part of that problem was because his wife was not... Um, An Israelite. And that was not a covenant that she wanted to be a part of. She even said, you're my husband of blood now because my son had to be circumcised. So now, Moses and Aaron, they appear before the the uh, elders in Israel. And they receive them with great joy. And no doubt they would. They showed up and said, hey, we got a message for you. God says he's going to let you guys out of bondage after 400 years. You're not going to be in bondage anymore. Well, that's a message that, yeah, amen. Oh, yeah, I'm for that. That sounds pretty good. Well, guess what? Today, he's going to talk to Pharaoh. And he's not going to get the same response from Pharaoh that he got from the people of Israel. So Moses and Aaron, in obedience to God, will now bring the very same message to Pharaoh that they brought to Israel, who will respond in a different way. And notice that the message will be the same, but the response will be different. You know, the gospel is always the same. You know, the parable of the sower that we're going to look at next Sunday morning. In the parable of the sower, the seed is always the same. It's the ground that changes. You know, good ground will bear much fruit. Hard ground, nothing will grow. And when the message is delivered to Israel, they received it. But when the message is delivered to Pharaoh, he's not going to receive it because he has a hard heart. And those with hard hearts will respond to this message with either pride or indifference, which will lead to rebellion. So here's what we're going to look at tonight. When we boldly and obediently proclaim God's word without compromise, it will produce three things that you're going to see when you do this. One, persecution from an unbelieving world. If you are not being vocal enough about your faith that you are being persecuted, then you need to ask God to forgive you and help you to be more bold. Amen? Because he said, you will be persecuted. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you. You know, we dial it down, we want to fit into the world. Jesus didn't fit into the world. They were not attracted to Jesus because he was just like everybody else. The other thing that will happen, you will suffer physical hardship. If you truly are sold out for Jesus Christ, and the most important thing in the world to you is to live for him above all else, You're going to go through physical hardships. The Bible says, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Amen? And if we follow God with our whole hearts sold out for Him, we're going to go through physical difficulties, but we will always have Him on our side. And then lastly, you will also face opposition from within. And what I mean by that is even other people that call themselves Christians. If you're totally sold out for God, some people are going to tell you, bro, hey, whoa, settle down. Okay, you know, hey, you know, we go to church, it's all good, all right, yeah, all right, you know, you know, what? hey, we're at Denny's now, you don't have to be preaching it here, you know, slow down, you know, and, and, you know, don't, you don't have to be always talking about Jesus, you can check that at the door, you know, it's not for work, it's for home, it's for church, but, you know, but you know what, if you're sold out for God, you're going to face those three things, and you know what, Moses and Aaron, are going to face those three things in the chapter tonight. Let's begin by looking at Aaron and Moses, being obedient in the proclamation to God. Look at verse 1. It says, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. So Moses and Aaron are obedient to what God has called them to do, and they faithfully walk right in to Pharaoh, and they say boldly to him. I like that. Thus they said to the Lord, Let my people go. Now, who does... Pharaoh think that these people belong to? They think they're his, right? These are my, these are my workers. This is my two million man workforce. They're building, you know, they're building pyramids and they're building you know, cities and building all these things that glorify and honor me. These are my people. And in walks Moses. Now remember when Moses left Egypt, how did he leave last time? He was running from what? From Pharaoh. Pharaoh was going to kill him. Why? Because he had killed an Egyptian who was harming a Hebrew, and he had to flee for his life, and now what does he do? Called by God, he walks right into Pharaoh's court, walks right up to Pharaoh, and says, let my, the Lord says, let my people go. Now, you know what? If God's hand were not with Moses, there's a very good chance he could have been struck down dead on the spot. But again, we're indestructible until God's through with us. Amen? We have nothing to fear from the world. Nothing. We don't need to worry about what men say. or men. Now, we want, we want to be loving toward men so that they will want to see the God that is within us, Almighty God, the power of the Holy Spirit within us. But you know what? Our job is not to be pleasing to the world. Our job is to honor God. And and Moses went right in and was faithful to what God had called him to do, boldly proclaiming God's message on his behalf to Pharaoh. He says, let my people go. Now, I think it's awesome here. I believe God is absolutely serving notice to Pharaoh that these people do not belong to him. Hey, Pharaoh, guess what? These are not your people, my people. They don't belong to you, they belong to me. And you know what? That's exactly what happened on the cross. Jesus served notice to Satan that these are my people. I'm paying the price for them. They're no longer going to be separated from me. I'm going to restore them back to the Father. And this is what Moses is doing as a picture of Jesus Christ. That they may hold a feast for me in the wilderness. Note again, God delivers people out of the hand of their enemies that they might do what? That they might serve the Lord not just for our personal comfort. He says, I'm going to deliver them so that they might worship me, that they might serve me. God did not deliver us from our sin just so we might be comfortable and have heaven at the end. Amen? God called us out so that we might serve Him, that we might be used by Him. And He says here in this text that He's going to call them out. Now look at the response as we, as we look at Pharaoh. Here's Pharaoh's response. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice to let Israel, Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. Who does he think is in charge? Him. He thinks he's the man. Hey, who's the Lord? Oh man, even, just even saying that, I don't... Who's the Lord? Man, you know what? That's pride. And that's where man falls into sin. Pharaoh was familiar with many gods. Egypt was filled with them. Matter of fact, the, many of the Egyptians felt that he was a god. You know, because he's the Pharaoh. You're a god. And he's saying, who is the Lord? Pharaoh assumed that the God of Hebrew slaves couldn't be very powerful. You know why? Because the way that he judged God was the way that many men and women judge God today. They lo- he looked at the followers, and, and then because of what he saw in the followers, he had an idea about the God that they served. He looked at the followers of the Hebrew God, and what were they? They were a bunch of murmuring slaves, right? What kind of God must they serve? There's two million murmuring slaves, what kind of God, how powerful can this God be? From a physical perspective, this is the way that Pharaoh is looking at it. Do you know that people do the same thing today? They look at the heart of the people to determine what kind of God they must be serving. You know what? We should be so in love with Jesus that we should be so loving and kind to others that they should want what we have. Amen? It shouldn't be that Christians are a bunch of self-righteous pointing at everybody else, and we shouldn't be with a megaphone, you're all going to fry in hell if you don't get, you know, that's not good. You know, we need to be loving people. The Bible says they shall know us by the love we have one for another. We should have a supernatural love. We should be different. We should be halogen lights in a dark room. Because we're filled with the Spirit of the living God. We were once dead in our trespasses and sins, but we've been made alive in Christ. And the way that he saw the people, he said, oh, their God must not be very powerful. The scary part is that today, that can be said as well. There are many people that when they look at at our God, think, what kind of God do they serve? What does the world see when they look at us? What do they see? Let me ask you this. Do they see fear, anxiety, worry, depression, anger, impatience, greed, lust, pride, is that what they see? Because if that's what they see, they won't think very much about the transforming power of our God, amen? You know, I've heard people say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'll be talking to somebody and every other word out of their mouth is, you know, swearing and and they're angry and they're screaming at their workers and they're, "Ah, they got a bad attitude, they're impatient And "Ah," and then they find out I'm a pastor and, oh, I'm a Christian too. I'm like, bro, keep that a secret, please, I mean, because the reality is that you're a bad testimony, you know what I mean? I mean, what kind of work, if, 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 if I work for that man, I thought, and if I didn't know God, and I heard him cussing and screaming and angry and bent all the time, i think, what kind of God do you serve? And on the other extreme, what about being, uh, what about fear and being anxious and being worried, you know? If you're worried all the time, how powerful must your God be? If you're anxious all the time, the Bible says be anxious for nothing. And people, you see people, and what I love is I love to watch believers when the trials come. And I believe God does too. Because you know what? In the midst of trials, again, I've said this before, when you squeeze a lemon, you get lemonade, right? And when you squeeze a Christian, you ought to get Christ-likeness. We ought to be like Jesus when we're going through difficulty. We ought to be the ones that when everybody else is blowing a head gasket, we're not. When everybody else is anxious because they're announcing layoffs at work, hey, you know what, my God is the provider. Jehovah Jireh, Lord God, our provider. i got nothing to worry about. My father's got a cattle on a thousand hills. He created everything. What's the problem? You know, that's an opportunity for the gospel. And what we see is that, that it's been said here, and I, I, I wrote this down, that the greatest stumbling block to Christianity is not the cults, it's not ungodly people, or even Satan, but it's Christians who confess Jesus with their mouth but deny Him with their lifestyles. There's so many people, you've all heard this, you know, church, it's all full of hypocrites. You've all heard that before, haven't you? You know, because people see, they see us talking about Jesus, but they see our lives. You know, lives that are, that are so focused on money, or they're so focused on career, or they're so focused on power. You know what? Who cares? It's all chaff. It's wood, hay, and stubble. It's all going to burn. If we're truly going to heaven, it. shouldn't that be where our focus is? Shouldn't that be where our passion is? Shouldn't that be where our joy comes from? We should have way more joy about leading someone to the Lord than if we won $500 million in the lottery. Amen? Why? Because one of those things is eternal and one of them's not. But you know what happens? It's we'll, we won't be able to, oh, I can't do ministry because I'm working three jobs right now. Because i got to make more money so I can buy more stuff, right? I've got to have more stuff. It's a pile of manure, right? That's what it is, ultimately. We're shoveling dirt, right? That's what we're doing. And it's all stuff that's going to pass. We're fighting over deck chairs in the Titanic. The ship is sinking. And you know what? We need to get our eyes off of this stuff and get our eyes on God. And, and, and be desiring the things that matter. Pharaoh looked down and said, how powerful could their God be? Look at these two million murmuring people. They're in bondage. Why were they in bondage to begin with? Who remembers? Why? Disobedience. They disobeyed God and they were put into bondage because of their own disobedience. And you know what? We should not be afraid. We have nothing to fear. We should not be anxious. The Bible says in Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those things re- reflect the nature of God and they ought to reflect us. Amen. The Holy Spirit living in us. We should have joy when no one else does. Peace when no one else does. Because why? Because we're heaven bound, right? Because we know God. And we know where we're headed. Does the Holy Spirit flow out of you, causing others to want to know the God that you know? Or do you stumble others with your actions? He says, I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. You know, here's the, here's the good news. Whether a man knows God or not, guess what? God's still in charge. Amen? It doesn't matter if you know God or not. He knows you. Amen? And it doesn't matter if you believe in Him or not. You know, if if two guys are standing on top of a roof and one believes in gravity and the other one doesn't and they both step off the roof, how many of them fall? I don't don't believe in gravity. You know, it's a physical law. You can't get over it. Too bad. You're going to fall and you're going to splat on the sidewalk just like the other guy. That's reality. And whether you believe in God or not, you will deal with Him one day. Amen? That's reality. He's God. He's faithful. He's in control. Pharaoh has no regard for the Hebrew slaves. He has no regard for their God. And ignorance and contempt of God are the bottom of all the wickedness that's in the world today. There's either contempt for God or ignorance of God. And in either case, it's trouble. Men and women who do not, do not know God have no thoughts of Him, nor will they let anything go for Him. Pharaoh's pride, his self-reliance produces a disobedience. I'm not leaving my sin. I'm not letting these people go. I'm in charge. I'm the God around here. That's what he's going to say. Well, guess what, Pharaoh, we're going to be watching you go through some struggles here in just a minute, right? In the next couple of weeks, next few chapters, when God starts raining some plagues down on the earth, we're going to find just, just who's in charge, amen? It ain't you, Pharaoh, okay? You think you're something special? I created you, amen? That's what God would say to him. Look at verse 3. It says in verse 3, so they said, the God of the Hebrews has met us. Please let us go. Three days journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. So Moses and Aaron are not swayed by Pharaoh's rejection of their words. They humbly repeat their request. Here's an example of something we should do. Just because you witness to somebody and they turn you away doesn't mean you should stop witnessing to them. Amen? My daughter's Bible teacher at her school, we need to pray for him, told her, well, if you witness to people a certain amount of times and just give up, I don't, what verse in the Bible is that, amen? The Bible says to pray without ceasing for the, this is the will of God. We don't give up on people. We keep praying, we keep loving them, and we keep sharing the word with them, amen? You know what? Because why? Because God loves them, and God died for them, and I'm glad, aren't you glad that, no, that people didn't give up on you, amen? Aren't you glad that people didn't just stop, at oh, well, witness to him three times, that's it, that's the limit, three times, you're done. Might as well just take them to to hell now, Lord, because they're off, done. No, God's not like that. He keeps coming. He keeps knocking. He keeps seeking after you because He loves you. And so here we see them continue. Again, you've got to remember, this is Pharaoh. Pharaoh could go, you know what? Bring the army out. Smoke these guys. But they weren't worried about Pharaoh. They were desiring to be faithful to God, not what men would say. So starting again, they state again that these words were God's and not theirs. So when we share our faith, should we not do the same thing that they're doing? They said, look... God came to us, and He told us, and let me tell you again what He said. They're not saying, here's our opinion, you know, we took a poll, here's what we think. You know, we, a bunch of us real smart guys got together and, you know, cast lots, and here's what we... They said, God spoke, here's what God said, here's what God's going to do. When we witness to people, it shouldn't be our opinion. Our opinion's worthless, amen? We should be pointing them to Jesus Christ, Him crucified and risen from the dead, because that's what matters. Point them to Jesus, They simply wanted an opportunity to sacrifice to the Lord. And you know what? They speak of the consequences of having no sacrifice. There would be pestilence and a sword. What is pestilence a picture of? It's a picture of torment. If we do not make sacrifice to God, there will be torment. If we do not make sacrifice to God, there will be a sword. A sword in the Bible is a picture of judgment. So if we do not make sacrifice to God, there will be torment and there will be judgment. You know what? Who's the sacrifice? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Without Jesus' death on the cross, there would be pestilence, torment, eternal torment, and judgment, separation from Almighty God. This is a picture of heaven to come. This is a picture of Jesus Christ. And he's saying, look, if we do not make sacrifice, which points to Jesus, when we take a spotless lamb, you know, the firstborn lamb, and we shed its blood, which points to the coming Messiah, if we do not do that, then we will be facing torment, and we will be facing judgment. That's what they say. And at points again. We should not be swayed by rejection, but humbly in love, point people to his word and the consequences of having no sacrifice. Praise the Lord that he died. His desire that none should perish, no, not one. So now we're going to move to Pharaoh's prideful response. Look how he responds to their word. Then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you have the people from their work? Take the people from their work. Go back to your labor. And Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many now, and you make them rest from their labor. What's Pharaoh's focus on? The physical. All he cared about was, you know what? You've been here talking to me for 20 minutes and all the people aren't working now because they, they know that you're here. And you know what? We need to get them back to work. I didn't care what God says. All he cares about is building his own kingdom. i got to build my own, i got to increase my own kingdom. And you know what? You're just getting in the way of that. Matter of fact, you guys are Israelites. You need to go grab a bucket and start working. That's what he says. You guys go back to work. That's what he's telling them to do. He says, you guys are Israelites. I don't care if you're called by God. You go back, you get to work. Now, it's interesting. He visualizes them as nothing more than tools. That's all he sees the Israelites as. Pharaoh's a godless man. He has no fear of God or his coming judgment. He has no concern or compassion for God's people. Get back to your labor. Go back and and, and work, because that's what you were made for. You know what? I want to encourage you with something. May we never, ever, ever see people... As tools that we use for our own comfort. You know what? We as we fall in love with Jesus, I believe that we will fall deeper in love with people. Why? Because people are his treasured possession. A lot of people, even people in ministry, talk about ministry, but they say, Oh man, ministry is great if we just get people out of the way. You know, people are the ministry. You know, for me, it doesn't matter. It can be a little thing. We had our softball game Monday night, and we had a whole bunch of extra guys show up. And at first, you know, there's that, that my fleshly part of me that says, well, man, we got too many guys, and we won't get to, you know, it'll be harder for us to win. And then I thought, you know what? I love people way, way more than I love softball. Everybody's playing. I don't care. We'll bat them all. It doesn't matter to me. Why? Because I love people. I would rather lose every game than hurt one person's feelings. I would rather, you know what I mean? It's about fellowship. It's about make, making people feel welcome and loved. And you know what? Pharaoh looked at people as tools. Things that that he would use to build his own kingdom. We ought to esteem others greater than ourselves, the Bible says. We ought to love people more than we love ourselves. We need to love God first, Jesus, others yourself. That's how you have joy, right? J-O-Y, Jesus first, others second, yourself last. If you can do that, you truly will have joy. Honor people, love people, care for people, esteem them greater than yourself. Lay down your life for them. Because that's what Jesus did. Pharaoh was the exact opposite. He was esteeming himself and wanting to use others. Verse 6. So the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and the officers, saying, You shall no longer give the people straw to make their brick as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. And you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which you made before. You shall not reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry out, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. So Pharaoh reveals his true heart of contempt for Israel as he responds to Moses and Aaron's humble request by heaping an even greater burden upon them. Remember we talked about in the beginning that when you are bold for God, you're going to face persecution from the outside, and that's exactly what's happening here. Pharaoh says, you know what? I'm going to show you who's God. Here's what I'm going to do. Call all the taskmasters in. These taskmasters were severe guys who walked around with whips and kept people in line. And you know what they said? You know what? Call them in. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to go out. We're going to keep their quota exactly what it is, but we're not going to give them any more straw. Now, they needed straw to make bricks. Straw would hold the bricks together, would cause them to form quicker. And you know what? Without the straw, they were going to have to gather their own straw. So now, in the amount of time that they were just making bricks all day long, going who knows how many hours a day, probably 18 hours a day, going nonstop making bricks, now they're going to have to have, send people out to gather straw, but yet their quota was not going to change. What was he doing? He's saying, I'm in charge. I want you to know who's in control. And you know what? You guys, must not have, you, might, you guys must have a bunch of idle time, it says in verse 8, because you're crying out to go make sacrifices to your God. If you've got time to do that, you've got time to make bricks without straw and go gather the straw yourself. You know what he's trying to do? He's trying to, to get them to knuckle under, he's trying to punish them for desiring to serve God. I'll show you your God. You serve me, I'm in charge. You honor me. I tell you what to do. I say jump, you say how high. And you know what's amazing? Is when did this happen? Moses and Aaron went in and did exactly what God told them to do. Didn't it? Didn't they? And what's the result? Greater hardship for Israel. When we're obedient and walking in the center of God's will and we respond to His call, it doesn't always mean that things are going to get easier. Quite often things are going to get more difficult. Oh, Pastor Dave, you're really getting me fired up for my calling right about now. Right? I mean, wait a minute, you mean things that, yeah, things could get tougher from a physical perspective, but you will know no greater joy, amen, than walking in the center of God's will. You can, I'd rather be in the center of God's will, in the middle of the jungle somewhere, with no food to eat, no money in the bank, than, than living in a mansion without the Lord. It reminds me of that, that illustration, Daniel is in the lion's den, and Darius is the one who had sentenced him to be put in the lion's den. You guys remember that story? Because he said anybody who prays to any god but but Darius will be thrown in the lion's den. And what is Darius doing all night long, the most powerful man in the world? It says he can't sleep and he's tormented all night long up in the mansion. And he goes down to see Daniel in the morning. What's Daniel doing in the lion's den? He's sleeping. Why? Because he's in the center of God's will. He has more peace in the lion's den, a den full of hungry lions, than Darius did in the mansion. Why? Because Darius was out of God's will, and Daniel was in the center of it. And when we're called by God, guess what? When we step out for Him and we respond to His call, things may get more difficult. But you know what? There's no better place to be in the world than being used by God in the center of His will, being used by Him to have an eternal impact on a lost and dying world. So let's look at Israel's increased hardship. Let's begin in verse 9. Let more work be laid on them. And they may labor in it, and let them not regard these false words. So Pharaoh attempts to oppress the people so they would not listen to the words of Aaron and Moses. He says these false words. He says this word that they brought is a lie. And you know what? One of the persecutions you're going to face when you speak boldly by God, people are going to accuse the word of God of being a lie. People are going to say it's not true. And you know what? That's the same thing that happened in the Garden of Eden. Remember when Satan came? What did he say to Eve? Did God really say God, he, he didn't really say you couldn't eat of that tree. No, he didn't. You know what? That's the same thing that happens today. People, Bible doesn't really say that. Bible doesn't really say that. One of the problems we've got in the church today is biblical literacy. And they don't understand what the Bible says. And we need to know what the word says. He said, lay the work heavy on it. Verse 10. And the taskmasters of the people and the officers went out and spoke to the people saying, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go get yourself straw where you can find it yet none of your work will be reduced. These taskmasters, again, vile and brutal men, followed Pharaoh, carried out the demand of his hardened heart, and Pharaoh had placed himself in a position of judge, being severe and brutal toward the people. Pharaoh would, again, soon find he was not the judge. He would soon find that sin had consequences. It says in Isaiah chapter 10, verse 1, Woe to those who decree unrighteous decrees, who write misfortune which they have prescribed. Woe unto them! Woe unto them. Why? Because they're going to face God one day. You know what? Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. God will take care of it. Look at verse 12. So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble inside the straw. You know, Satan's plan has always been divide and conquer. Always. When did he approach Eve in the garden? When she was alone. Divide and conquer. What does he do here? His plan is... Make them go out and get their own straw, so the people will be scattered. So that when Moses and Aaron speak, they'll not be able to speak to all of them. They'll be spread out all over Egypt. And the the message won't go out into the same amount of power. And you know what? The same thing's happening today. Satan's plan is to scatter the church. Bring division in the church. Have people fighting over, you know... Whether or not you can eat meat or, you know, I mean, you know, fight over anything. I don't, we don't care, you know, divide over predestination and sovereignty of God and free, and let's fight, you know, let's argue, let's debate, let's be divided up. You know what? When we need to divide, it makes the church less powerful. Amen? There's one church. One. And every born again believer is a part of it, no matter where they worship. And you know what? Instead of, we're not trying to recruit people for Calvary Chapel. That's not in my heart at all. I want to see the lost come to know Jesus Christ. Amen? And I want to see the, the, this county turned upside down for Jesus Christ. That it would mean Santa Cruz would mean Holy Cross once again. Amen? And you know, that should be our heart and our passion, our desire. We're not competing with... We're all on the same team. Amen? We should not be divided. Let's point people to the Lord. And what here? scatters them. That's Satan's plan. Let's divide them. Let's scatter them. Let's tear them apart. That's part of the persecution. Gathering stubble, broken pieces... Of straw. We should not strive over non-essentials. Let's focus on what really matters, Jesus Christ. Verse 13 The taskmasters forced them to hurry, saying, Fulfill your work, your daily quota, as when there was no straw, and as when there was straw. Also the officers of the children of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not fulfilled your task in making brick, both yesterday and today as before? So the Israelites were given this virtually impossible task to gather straw and to make as many bricks before. But not only are they given an overwhelming task, but when they were unable to complete it, those who were placed in positions of authority were beaten. What happens when you boldly speak the truth of God's word? You face persecution and you face hardship. And you know what? It's exactly what's happening here. These men had heard Aaron and Moses' words and they had received it with joy. Satan didn't like that. Pharaoh didn't like that. They said, we've got to beat the joy out of these guys. We've got to persecute them so that they don't believe this, this noise anymore. So they'll be good little slaves like they're supposed to be. So we're going to beat them and drive that far from them. And you know what? When we go through difficulties in life, we can do one of two things. We can run to God or we can run from Him. Amen? Some people, they go through difficulties and they say, Man, God just doesn't love me. God doesn't care. All right, I'm out of here. And that's exactly what Satan wants us to do when things get tough. You know what? Where's the best place to be in the world when things are tough? In Daddy's lap. Amen? Abba Father, our Heavenly Father. What better place to be than sitting near Him? To know that He loves me and He cares. He's he's a creator of the universe and He wants to watch over me. Imagine the despair that resulted from this overwhelming hardship. Given a task, again, seemingly impossible to complete. And then beaten when you're unable to complete it. It's an inside joke, but it made me think of smart pages. But it's an inside joke for those that work at Pac-Bell. But you know, they give you something that's impossible to do, and then when you don't do it, they punish you, right? And here's the same thing here. You see the same thing? They give them this task that's impossible to do. Then when they don't do it, they beat them. You want to talk about driving people to the end of themselves, right? I mean, they're just, oh, they're broken. Their hardship caused them to cry out. But look what happens. I want you to see this. Remember I said you can run to God, or they can run from God. They can run to God... Or they can run to man. Look at verse 15. Then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried out to who? What does that say? To Pharaoh. They cried out to Pharaoh. Who should they have been crying out to? To God. And sometimes we go to a difficult thing in our life and things are a mess and we run to man. Oh, I've got to run to my boss. I've got to run to somebody and get counsel. I've got to run over here. Wait a minute. The first place we ought to be is running to God, amen, camping out at his doorstep, say, Lord, give me wisdom, give me direction. One of the first things I ask people when they come to me for counsel is I always ask them, have you prayed about this? Nine times out of ten, not really. Again, I'm happy to counsel with you guys. I love you guys. I'm here to serve you guys. I'm, you know, under rower, that's what pastor means. I'm here to serve you. Here's the people, here's the pastor, under rower, bottom of the boat, I'm called by God to, to love you guys, to serve you guys, and to equip you to do the work of the ministry. You don't serve me, I serve you. And you know what, I love to do that. And if you, ha- if you need my counsel, I want to give it to you. You want me to pray with you, you call me at 2 a.m., I don't care. Pastor never stops being a pastor, a shepherd never stops watching over the sheep. That's a, it's a joy to me, I love it, I'm privileged to do it. But let me say this, I want to encourage you, before you go to any man, you go to God. Amen? Before you go seek anyone's counsel, you get on your knees and you ask the Lord for His help. Because you know what? He's the mighty counselor. Amen? He's the one that can give you direction and give you peace and, get, and show you what the answer is. And you know what? I love when I just sit with the Lord and He answers and I don't ever have to talk to anybody else about it but Him. I love when that happens. Now, there's wisdom in the counsel of many and God may use other men and women when you're at a difficult moment and you're trying to understand and, and you have prayed about it and God may use those people in your life. But make sure you go to the Lord before you go to anybody else. Well, these men, what do they do? They ran... And they went with their hardship, and they cried out in the wrong direction. Exodus 3, 7 said, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of the taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. When we are in times of trial and difficulty, the first place we should turn is to the Lord, even before we try to fix it ourselves. If your boss is overbearing at work, pray. If you're struggling with your finances, pray. You've been diagnosed with an illness, pray. you're struggling in your marriage, pray. Having a difficulty with your kids? Pray. Does God care about all those things? Yes. Pray. Seek His will. Before we take another step, seek the counsel of another. Seek Him. Verse 16. There was no straw given to your servants. And they say to us, make brick. So this is cry out to Pharaoh. And indeed your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But He said to them, you are idle, idle. Therefore you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. So what is he, what is Pharaoh putting the blame on for them being beaten and having the task that is before them? What is he basically saying to them? What's he telling them? Why is this happening to them? they They want to worship God. You guys want to worship God and that's why you're having this problem. You were idle. Obviously, you must have had a lot of free time on your hands because you came to me and you wanted to go out into the wilderness and you wanted to sacrifice to the Lord. You must have a lot of free time. Well, I'm filling that time up for you. You're going to go out and you're going to gather the straw and you're going to make the bricks and that's what you're going to do. And it's your own fault. You haven't been trying to worship God. And if you just worship me like you're supposed to, the Pharaoh, you wouldn't be having this problem. He's putting it at God's doorstep. And the world will do that too. You know, people ask you, you know, man, you're going through these trials. What about God? What Doesn't God care? Doesn't God love you? Where's your God now? Heard that many a time. God's on the throne. That's where my God is. He's always been there. He'll never leave. He's always by my side. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. He loves me. He that knows me best loves me most. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for me. That's the God I serve. Amen? He doesn't go on vacation. Thank you, Lord. Right? Amen? He's always there. And he loves me even when I totally blow it. Ungodly Pharaoh gives them an ungodly answer to their question. But you know what? We shouldn't be surprised when, bo- when dogs bark. Amen? Dogs are dogs, and that's why they bark. And ungodly men give ungodly counsel because they're ungodly. The Bible says, walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. I don't care what Freud has to say about anything. He's burning in hell. He needs my counsel. Amen? I don't care what Young says. I don't care what Dr. Joy's brother says. You know? I don't care what Rosie O'Donnell says or Oprah or, you know what I mean? People are like, oh, yeah, we got to, you know, turn into their horse. That's noise. That's, That's counsel of the ungodly. Amen? We don't need their counsel. Seek the Lord. Find it in Him. Trust in Him. Pray for those people. Love those people. Share Jesus with those people. But we don't need their counsel. Well, I've got a degree. So what? So what? I've got the creator of the universe living inside of me. How about that? Amen? Is there anything better than that? Oh, yeah, well, I studied a bunch of books written by dead guys. So you need my counsel. No, I don't think so. Word of God. Mighty counselor. Find it in Him. Hopes in Him. Peace is in Him. You know what? I like getting counsel from someone that put the stars in the sky and rose from the dead on the third day, and is coming back. How about you? Amen? That's a good person to seek counsel from. Not some guy they got statues of on a wall because his bones are in the ground and he's dust now. I don't want his counsel. Walking down the counseling of God, so go to Pharaoh and they get a dumb answer. Well, duh, he's an ungodly guy. What do you think you're going to get? You went to the wrong guy, you turned the wrong way, you went to the wrong place, you got the wrong counsel. Pharaoh blames their hardship on their desire to sacrifice and serve the Lord. Verse 18, almost done. Therefore, go now and work, for no straw shall be given to you, but you shall deliver the same quota of bricks. In Pharaoh's attempt to drive Israel away from God and to reinforce them to the power that he has over them, he reiterates his demand that their production remain the same while gathering their own straw. So now we've seen the persecution from the outside. We've seen the hardship that goes when we walk with God with our whole heart. And now let me show you the opposition from within. That's what we'll finish with in verse 19. And the officers of the children of Israel saw that they were in trouble. After that said, you shall not reduce any bricks from your daily, it was said, after it was said, you shall not reduce any bricks from your daily quota. So after they heard Pharaoh and they knew he was not going to change their mind, they knew they were in trouble. Uh Uh-oh, we're in trouble. Another opportunity to do what? Where could they go right about now? Go to God. We blew it last time. All right, here's another chance that we can turn to the Lord in this time of difficulty and let's watch what they do. Let's see if they run to God or not. And here's the good news. Don't you love the fact that you can turn away from Him and run away from Him and you can take a million steps away from God and it truly is only one step back. He's always right there. He always loves us. He's always caring. He's always merciful. His grace is always sufficient. There's nothing we can do to make God stop loving us. He's always right there. I love that. And so... Here's another opportunity, guys. Oh, they're, oh, we went to Pharaoh and we didn't get a good answer. Well, ungodly counsel, dog barked. Now let's see what happens next. So they saw they were in trouble, recognizing Pharaoh was not going to change. Turning to Pharaoh would not work. Here's another opportunity, verse 20. Then as they came out from Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron who stood there to meet them. Now why were Moses and Aaron waiting outside when, when they came out for meeting with Pharaoh? I believe that they were there to minister to them. I believe that they were there to pray with them. I believe that they were there to remind them of God's promise. Moses could have said, hey, I don't care what he told you, I'm telling you, I stood there and I talked to God at the burning bush. And he said, I am that I am, and he said that we're going to be delivered. And I trust him. I put this, this dropped the stick on the ground and turned it into a stake. I put my hand on my bosom, I pulled it back out. And that ain't nothing yet. You haven't seen it yet. It's interesting to me, that, too, that the serpent, right, picture of the original sin in the garden right leprosy a picture of sin of mankind and the third miracle was turning water into blood pointing to the redemptive work of Jesus Christ the only thing that could heal us from that original sin in the garden and the sin of leprosy that has consumed every one of us these are the miracles that have been done and they come and there's Moses and Aaron so here's an opportunity to say oh you know what here's godly counsel we could man we could seek the Lord together Tell me what God told you again. I want to understand. And instead, here's what they say. And they said to them, Let the Lord look on you and judge. Because you have made us aberrant in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put the sword in their hand to kill us. When they came out of their meeting with Pharaoh, what did they say? They They saw Aaron and Moses. And instead, they came out and they were angry. And they came out Divided. They came out accusing, came out looking and saying, You know what? You guys have brought this on us. It's all your fault. Things were so much better before you got here. Dude, you were a slave in a pit. What do you mean things were better? But that's how people are sometimes. And we're going to see this as they're wandering out in the wilderness. They're going to be crying in the wilderness. Oh, you brought us out here to die. We're going to see that in a couple of weeks. Oh, we had leeks and onions when we were back in Egypt. And Satan will try to make you think that your life back in the old days was better. There's nothing the world has to offer that's better than walking with the Lord. Amen? Nothing. And so what's amazing here is the division, the accusation, unbelief came as a result of physical hardship and the fear of Pharaoh's sword. But you know what it says in Luke chapter 12? Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after they have, no more can they do to it. But I will show you to whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed you, has the power to cast you into hell. Yes, I say, fear him. You've made us aberrant in the sight of, of Pharaoh. While God was called to call us to be salt and light, to reveal his love to the lost and dying world, we should not be concerned with our popularity with men in their sight, but our faithfulness to God in his sight. They said, you know what? You've made us look bad in front of Pharaoh. So what? Amen? You know what? If everybody in the world loves you, something's wrong. Right? If a sinful, lost world loves you, something's wrong. If you get, and again, I don't want to... Please, I want to make sure you understand me. We should be the most loving, gracious, helpful, kind people. We should lay down our lives for a lost and dying world, but at the same time, if you're glowing in the dark for Jesus, you're going to bring conviction to people that don't know God just by being around them. They don't want to hear it. Why did they kill all the apostles? Why did they kill them? Man, it brought conviction. John the Baptist, man, they threw him in jail. Why? Because said, you're an adulterer. Hey, king, you know, everybody else is scared of you. I'm not, you're an adulterer. Shouldn't be an adultery. Oh, put him in jail, right? Paul, preaching Jesus. They stoned him to death. God raised him from the dead. He went right back in the city and started preaching it again. You know, the reality is that when you have a burden for the lost, there are going to be those that don't want to hear it. You know, it's like the analogy of saving a drowning man. How many of you have ever taken training classes where you save people? And what do people do when they're drowning? They fight you. Did you know that? If you try to save someone who's drowning because they're in panic mode, they'll be like wailing on you. You're like trying to save their life and they're beating you in the face. Well, the same thing happens when you go and you love people with the love of God and you share with them the truth about Jesus Christ and they're struggling over making a decision for Him. They're most times are going to fight you. But again, love them. When we've loved them, we, it gives us the opportunity to witness to them. These guys come out and say, hey guys, it's all your fault. You know what? We should never have listened to you. Now we've got to make more bricks. We don't have any straw. Pharaoh's going to beat us. Life has gotten worse. Now, look at Moses' response. Because afterward, be honest with you, Moses expected a faster response. Moses thought, okay, Lord, that sounds like a good plan. You mean I'm going to go in with the stick I'm going to walk in, you're going to perform all these miracles, and all the people are going to go free. Oh, that sounds good. I'm down for that. Oh, well, he didn't even say that. We know that he was like, oh, I don't, no, not me, someone else. No, not me, the Lord just kept, okay, all right, I'll go. And so he went, and he gets there, and he finds out it's not quite that easy. You know, it's amazing. You know, you get called by God. You just envision, you know, you get called to be an evangelist. You think the first one, you know, all the bustles will wait. You know, thousands come forward. It's all going to be, you know. Jeremiah went out 40 years, no converts. That's why he's called the weeping prophet. Can you imagine 40 years of preaching? Nobody gets saved. Nobody. Uh, that's not a very good church plant growth method. Uh, the missions board would probably bring you home long before that. Right? How many people got saved? No, oh, you're coming home. Right? Because they look at it from a physical perspective. But when we're called by God, we need to know that hardship will come. There's going to be difficulty, but it's okay. You've got to look at it from a spiritual, not a physical perspective. Bible says in James chapter 1. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Problems, trials, develop our patience and character by teaching us three things. To trust God to do what is best for us. By making us look for ways to honor God in our current situation. One of the things I tell people all the time when they're going through difficulty, I say, you know what? People are watching. Amen? If people know you're a Christian... It's easy to be the Christian on the cruise ship to heaven, right? God's good. Everything's wonderful. Family's healthy. Tons of money in the bank. Driving a new car. Just got a promotion. Yep, serving God. And then when you lose your job, everybody goes, oh, let's see how they act now. They're watching. Your neighbors are watching. Squeezing the lemonade, right? Squeezing the lemon. Squeezing the Christian. What's going to come out? That is the greater testimony, I believe. It's easy to be the Christian when everything's perfect. How do you react when things get difficult? Count all joy, my brethren. And lastly, remember God is faithful and he will not abandon us. While Moses questions God, look what he does here. He questions God. Look what he says. Verse 22. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak your name, he has done evil to the people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. Wait a minute. I thought we had a deal. You said if I went that you were going to bring miracles, I was gonna say it, and then they were gonna get let out. Didn't you say that? Well, you know what, Moses, if you listen clearly, I told you that when you first came that Pharaoh was not going to receive my words. Remember that? Back in chapter three? He said, not gonna receive my words initially, but then I'm gonna bring great signs and plagues upon him, and then he will let the people go. And you know what? We need to be prepared that when we're called by God, that there will be difficulties. We will face... Again, remember that Satan is real. The Bible says that Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom we may devour. We know that the Bible says we battle not with flesh and blood, but with powers and principalities and evil forces of darkness in high places. And you know what? Since Satan is not omnipresent, and since his forces are limited, where do you think Satan puts his forces? On those who are most effective for the kingdom of God. He sees somebody being called by God and the hand of God's upon him and he's gifted by God. Oh man, we've got to get after that guy and stop him now. We've got to put that guy down before he even gets started. And you know what? There's a lot of people that get discouraged early in ministry and quit. And you know what? May we never do that. May we trust God. We should come humbly to God daily seeking after Him. We should not come questioning God like Moses did. He questions the Lord but praise the Lord he went to the Lord. Praise the Lord he didn't go to the people and go, yeah, God, yeah, He's messing us up, isn't He? What do you think? Right? Get some ungodly counsel like when they went to Pharaoh. He goes to the Lord. He questions and asks God. And God. Get, and you know what? We should humbly come before God with our praises, our petitions, our concerns, seeking His wisdom and His direction. Worship team will come up. Let me close. In conclusion, when we boldly and obediently proclaim God's Word, without compromise, we will produce the following. Persecution from an unbelieving world. We will face physical hardships and trials and we will even face opposition from within. Other believers, like you saw here, his own people were saying, see, you brought this on us. See, it's your fault. You did it. Don't do things for the popularity of men. Be obedient to the calling of God. May we not allow these obstacles to cause us to doubt or question God's grace or His sovereignty. Remember that God is in control. Remember that He loves you. And remember that you can trust Him no matter what. Amen? You know what? You plus God is the majority. Amen? If everybody else is against you, if God is for us, who can be against us? Kids in my youth group always feel like they were the only Christian on campus. I'd say, you know what? You plus God is the majority. If you go and you be faithful to Him, if God's on your side, you have nothing to worry about. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word, and we thank You for the example of the calling on Moses' life. And Lord, that the hardships that came, we know, Lord, that You're still in control. And Lord, when we go through difficulties of life. We go through health problems and financial problems and, and losing jobs and having problems with our children and just the different things that happen to us in life. We know that you're faithful and in control. And Lord, I pray for each person who's here that we would never run from you, but we would run to you. Lord, we thank you. We praise you, Father. We pray that you would embolden us with your power of your Holy Spirit, that Lord, we would be faithful. And Lord, that we would shine so brightly for you that we would face persecution from the outside. Lord, that when the hardship comes, that we would not turn away from you, but Lord, we would trust in you. And Lord, that even when opposition comes from within the church, Lord, that you would use a soft answer to turn away wrath. So Lord, we love you, we praise you, we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's close the worship song.